Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Well, my name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm pastor here at Covenant Church and uh, one of the elders that has the great privilege of leading this church along our mission. And uh, as we begin our sermon today, I naturally want to start with the topic of uh, horror movies, scary movies. Okay. No, you, you saw that coming. You were ready for that. You were like, when are we going to start talking about Michael Myers and Jamie Lee Curtis and the whole thing? So um, in order to get where we're going today, it, it occurred to me um, that scary movies, uh, when I was younger, I don't know if this is true of anyone else, but when I was younger, it was like, yeah, bring them on, no big deal, go to the theater, lots of fun, all the adrenaline, this is great, scare me, haunted houses, all the things. And, and there was some invisible point in my life where that was no longer allowed because something in me was profoundly disturbed by being scared um, on my own will. I was like, I just, I don't really need that. I got enough things wrong with my life. I don't need um, to subject, I don't need to pay $10 to go to a theater and then be scared. Like, I got enough stuff. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's you. But I remember, I mean, you remember the first time you see a scary movie, Halloween, you know, on television in my childhood, it was just like, you see that Michael Myers hockey mask face, and it was just like everything kind of gave chills. And then Scream really reinvigorated uh, the whole genre of horror movies. And this was in the 90s. We have a picture, maybe you remember. Oh, doesn't she look a little bit afraid? This is a picture from Scream of my uh, actual, as I was thinking about it, it's my favorite trope from uh, scary movies, which is the, the call um, when they're on the phone, and it's always a babysitter, right? I don't know why the vulnerable babysitters are always the ones that are getting attacked, but it's always, they pick up the phone, and either, as in Scream, um, I can see you, like, why are you walking that direction, and everything stops, and there's this eye-wide moment, or in other movies, it's the, the call is coming from inside the house scene, where they're on the phone, and they're like, the call is, we trace the call, it's coming from inside the house, and you have this eyes-wide kind of like recalibration of everything that's happening in their world. And it's one of my favorite parts of any movie. I don't like these movies all that much, but that, that scene is so affecting because as the camera, you can see the camera zooming in and, and you can see that realization dawning on the person. The call is coming from inside the house and they go, oh no. And everything has to be rethought. The expectations of what was happening in the moment are totally blown up. And then that launches us into the next scene of action. And, and of course, you know, she runs from the house and there's a chase scene. It, it all happens. It's all very formulaic. But the call is coming from inside the house. And this is what I've been thinking about because I've been thinking about Jesus and what we're going to talk about in the scripture this week. He's been talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, these really nice religious people, he's telling them the kingdom of God is coming. And they're getting tired of hearing about it. They're getting tired of, of these kind of vague references to the kingdom of God. And they want a clear answer. When is it showing up? They're expecting a military or a political change, some sort of fireworks or parade to establish this new kingdom. And here's what happens in Luke chapter 17. We'll pick up the story. It says, Jesus, grilled by the Pharisees on when the kingdom of God would come, answered, the kingdom of God doesn't come by counting the days on the calendar, nor when someone says, look here or there it is. And why? Because God's kingdom is already among you. 
Jesus essentially looks at the Pharisees and says, the kingdom is coming from the house. It's already in the house. (laughs) And you think, as you think of this scene in the arid plains of the Middle East, you think of these Pharisees, these religious leaders, as the camera zooms in on them, you can see them going, wait a minute. And they put the phone down and they're like, this changes everything. It's big news. Expectations are blown up. The Pharisees go from trying to figure out when this big thing is going to happen to wrapping their heads around the idea that that thing has already happened. The call is coming from inside the house. The Pharisees are trying to get in front of this. And Jesus says, you can't get in front of it. It's already happened. It is among you. And he doesn't just say it, he proclaims it. And he's been proclaiming it throughout his ministry. And they're only now kind of tuning in. And this is something to maybe carry with you. This is kind of an aside, but it's something to carry with you as you read your Bible. And and I'm borrowing from, John Ortberg wrote this great book, Eternity is Now in Session. And so I'm going to borrow from him. I'm going to steal a couple ideas of his and just repackage them and hand them to you. So if you want a deeper dive into what this kingdom is in the house kind of idea is, go read that. Eternity is Now in Session. But he points out that there's a a, a profound difference between teaching and preaching. Jesus teaches a lot. You'll see him in the synagogues. He's teaching. He's dispensing advice. He's reading the scripture and unpacking it for people. Do this. Stop doing that. Think about it this way. But Jesus also preaches, to which most of us go, isn't that a different way of saying the same thing? Isn't teaching and preaching, isn't that sort of the same thing, just one maybe has religious emphasis and the other doesn't? Is that that maybe it? I'm so glad you asked. No, no is the answer. Matthew Matthew 4, 23, look at this verse. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness among the people. So it seems we have three distinct things happen, don't we? He's teaching in the synagogues, he's preaching of the coming kingdom of God, and he's healing people along the way. Those are three separate things that are happening. Teaching is good wisdom for life. Preaching, there's this other idea that there's a gospel of the kingdom that is being preached, proclaimed. Teaching lays out information, it helps you organize it and apply it to life. Preaching points to a headline. Preaching proclaims a grand truth and then rings the church bells and says, I need you to see it. And there's a profound difference there. To preach is to proclaim. It's to make not only uh, uh, advice for living, it's, it's truth claims being made out loud. It's breaking news. If you turn on your television, you go to your, the website of your choice that you get your news from and you see that big red breaking news on it, that's preaching. Teaching is the afternoon talk show where they're talking to two people and somebody's giving their opinion on it and here's what's happening and okay, that's interesting. How do we think about it? Preaching is breaking news. We're going live to the scene. And so the gospel, as you know, you've heard it called the good news, but we've watered that down over time, haven't we? Like it's going to be warmer and sunny this week. You're like, good news. And so when we hear good news, we just equate it with one more thing that's like, ah, that sounds nice. That's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? Could have called it anything good news. That's nice. It's not this softened idea of good news, when Jesus talks about good news, when the gospel, this good news goes out, it's a radical proclamation of a changed administration. Biblically speaking, good news is stunning. Good news is that breaking news banner on the television coming up and punch you in the face. And the Pharisees go, wait a minute. Why am I going through this? In your black and white pages of your Bible, It is easy to simply see words and not receive that full weight of what's happening. So in hearing this, imagining the Pharisees' response to breaking 
news, stunning news. The kingdom is in the house. Wait a minute, did he just say that? The camera zooms in, eyes wide sort of news. This is a radical moment in history. The Pharisees would have heard this. They would have heard a proclamation of regime change. The same way if you went home and turned on the television and you saw that the government had been overthrown or there was a new military dictatorship or there was a coup attempt, you would go, whoa, that's something happening. Now, that you would teach later, someone would teach you what do we do about it, but that proclamation would be stunning and disorienting and you would be uncomfortable and you'd wobble a little bit and go, wait a minute, this is wild news. And what makes Jesus' good news so radical is that he refers to it in a way that it's, it's past tense. The kingdom is already among you. It's already happened. You missed it. Here I am. And it's present tense, and I'm unveiling it as I go. And it's future tense, and it's going to keep happening and unveiling itself along the way. So Jesus preached that something had happened. This is a past tense thing. I've arrived, and I'm arriving, and it's still coming, and it will arrive. And this is why I wanted to bring up scary movies, because it's that eyes-wide moment where you have to put yourself in the position of the Pharisees and go, that would be jarring. And we have to realize that we are, in so many ways, like the Pharisees. We're doing the right thing. We're following the right path. We're trying to be good people. We're trying to follow the rules. And we get caught in this religious muck sometimes. And it's important for us as followers of Jesus to be reminded of just how radical and life-changing the news was so that we might have our own eyes-wide moment so the camera might zoom in on you and on me and on my heart and on yours and go, what am I going to do with that? Because that's not an instruction to do a little better. That's not a little bit of advice on how to live a little different. That's radical, life-changing news. The thing that we've been waiting for has already happened. How did we miss it? Jesus says over and over, he is the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is here, and he sort of points to himself. He's ushering it in. He is the king. And so what's the response? The kingdom is here. That's big news. Look what came of it. Matthew, keep reading in Matthew 4, in verse 24. The news about him spread all over Syria. As if to further illustrate the point that teaching is one thing and preaching is another, he preaches the kingdom of God. He preaches the news. And just like when you hear big news, what's the first thing people start doing? Sharing, spreading. It goes out. News travels. Teaching resonates. News travels. And so throughout other nations, the news of this regime change, the news of the coming king has started to travel out and people are starting to understand there has been a proclamation done. And this changes everything. It's like an election night. Enough precincts are in. The AP is calling Ohio for name your candidate. News spreads fast. It's the same with Jesus. He's in essence saying the votes are in. The kingdom of heaven has won and it is here and it is among you. There is a new administration in charge. Which if you were just walking along the street and someone told you that, that would be a little bit jarring. So what is that change? What does it change if we recognize that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is now, like it happened? We're not waiting. It's here. What did it change for the Pharisees? What does it change for us? What it means is this is not a dress rehearsal. This is not practice. This is not um, get our ducks in a row for the day that the sweet by and by comes calling for us. This is none of those things. You are participating, Jesus is explaining, you are participating in your eternity now. You're not trying to build up enough points to get to your preferred destination. The destination has come to you, and it is now among you, and it is in you. 
And so it asks you a question, and it asks the same question of the Pharisees in Samaria that it asks of the followers of Jesus in America. Jesus is, in essence, asking if you are willing to give up your kingdom to join his kingdom. Are you willing to give up, give up your kingdom in order to join the kingdom of heaven? To which you might say, I have a kingdom? Yes. Welcome to the kingdom of self. You have a kingdom. Dallas Willard and John Ortberg, there's kind of this combined definition they, they put together. It's your kingdom is the range of your effective will. Your kingdom, the kingdom of you, the kingdom of each of us, your kingdom is the range of your effective will, meaning you can make things happen within that sphere. You want to know how you know if you're the king? Um, who sets the temperature in your house? That's the king. There it is. The range of your effective... If you're living in a house and you can't set the temperature... I'm sorry, you're not in charge of that. That is not the range of your effective will. You have a smaller will than you thought. But whoever sets the temperature in your, that's, you can affect change. I make this what I want. I demand the temperature be 72. And your will is done. That's your kingdom. If you think about it, we all live a little bit like kings. Technology has allowed us all to have this kind of false sense of kingship all of a sudden. Alexa, order more toilet paper. Toilet paper is on the way, you know, and it just does it. You're like, hey, so we are like the old kings of old. Turn the degrees down four degrees. You know, it's like, okay, I'll do that. It, you, we can just do whatever we want. We're kind of the kings of our own little kingdoms. I snap my fingers and a 96 pack of toilet paper shows up on my front door the next day. We are the kings of our own little kingdoms. And the question is, within my domain, within your domain, are you willing to give that up? Your kingdom is the range of your effective will. But what we, we don't like very much, we don't want to hear all the time, is that there are limits to your kingdom and my kingdom. There's a space where your effective will no longer carries. Like every single waiting room at a doctor's office you've ever been in, where it's 47 degrees for some unknown reason all the time. And then you go over and you're thinking, or the television is on way too loud on a channel you don't care about. That's the other one. So then you walk over and there's always a sign on the television that says, do not touch. Or you try to find the thermostat because there's a person who'd obviously been here longer than you and they're literally frozen in a block of ice. And you go find the little thermostat on the wall, but it's got like a six-part lock on it and it's in that plastic case. They're telling you this is not your kingdom. You have no rights here. And then you realize you're on foreign soil and you have to do whatever they say. You are not the king of that place. Everybody has these, these moments where we kind of feel frustrated and out of control. Last week, Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, here's some sideways thunder snow. Congratulations, way to go. And we're all looking for the thermostat last week. We're all like, how do we turn that off? Because this kind of ruins the day a little bit. You don't have any option. That, that is what's happening. You are not in control. It exposes that your kingdom have, has limited range and that your kingdom falls apart pretty quickly. You ever get balloons for a birthday? You have to go to the balloon store, like Walmart, Party City, wherever you go to get your balloons. In the store, it's a pretty controlled environment, isn't it? They got that net up there that catches them, so they're just feeling, filling them with helium and letting them go with the string on it. And I just kinda, even that kind of gives me anxiety. Like, you're just going to let stuff go? Like, these are balloons. This is dangerous. <laughs> then you get the balloons, and this is probably the most treacherous part of any parent's life, is when you have the balloon bundle and you have to get the bundle from the party store to your house, 
Because the first thing you do is in the calm of the kingdom of the party store, they're in control. They're in charge. Everything is safe. They got the nets everywhere. You pay your $73 for four helium balloons. You don't know how this is working. You walk out of the door. I may be projecting a little bit at the moment. And then you get hit by the glorious Northwest Ohio winds. And you're like, whoop, there goes one. Okay. Hold them a little tighter. And you got the, even the anchor thing tied to them. And you just watch one go. It's just gone. And you feel immediate helplessness. Like as long as it's not the one with the writing on it or the big number balloons, if, as long as it's just one of the other ones, you're like, okay, well, that's my sacrifice to the gods of the balloon people, and then on we go. Then you have to put it in your car, which we think is like safe. We finally got it in our car. That's part of my kingdom. I can set the thermostat in this one. This is great, except it is the most treacherous drive in the history of humanity because balloons are banging around. You can't see out at any mirrors. Everything is going insane. You finally get home, and then you have to do the whole thing again because you have to take them out of your car, back into the wind before you get inside. You're exhausted before the party starts. I need therapy for this, maybe. <laughs> What's my point? The range of my effective will is balloons. Um, balloons represent my feeble attempts at control. I will celebrate the way I want. And then you're just, oh, well, a little less celebratory. On earth as it is in heaven is an invitation to submit our kingdom to his. Balloons is when I fail at that. On earth that is as, as it is in heaven is an invitation to submit our kingdom to his, and we are constantly running into places where we don't have any rule. We don't have any greater pull. This is not my kingdom. And until we recognize that, it's, a, it's an exercise in futility. It's an exercise in frustration. It's trying to hold the balloons through the windy party city parking lot. I can do this when everything in the world is conspiring against me getting those balloons home. And until I recognize that I'm not in control I can't really get to a place where I can submit my kingdom to the kingdom of God and find earth as it is on heaven. As everything in the world fights to free my balloons from my grasp and they inevitably head towards Cleveland because where else would a balloon want to go, I find myself gripping tighter. My reaction in that moment is to hold tighter, to grip tighter, to grip my teeth, hold on to control. Jesus is ushering in his kingdom, and you are invited, but you can't keep control. The winds of eternity blow through, and you and I are either going to allow ourselves to be taken by the winds of eternity, to be taken by the new kingdom, or we hunker down and we grip tight and we try to control every aspect of our lives. But Jesus is saying, you can't do that. You can't have a death grip on your life and experience what it truly means to live. You can't have both. You can't have the control of party city and the fun of the party. At some point, one submits to the other. You can hold on to a little, sure. You can always try to hold a little tighter. But to enter into God's eternal beauty and enter into God's kingdom story, into love beyond measure, in if you want to enter into that thing that you, you know you were created for, that thing in you that goes, I was built for something greater than this place, there's a transcendence in me that speaks to me, and I know there's something more. To get there, counterintuitively, you have to let go. And this is Jesus' proclamation of good news. Jesus says, the kingdom is among you. The call is coming from inside the house. It's here now, and it's coming back. Jesus is saying, I am here to bring the kingdom and I'll be back to make it permanent. 
So with me comes the kingdom, and my return will make it permanent, and you have between now and then to figure it out. They say, when? And Jesus' answer is essentially this. It will not be predictable, but it will be unmistakable. The kingdom of heaven arriving in a life works the same way. It's never predictable, but it's unmistakable. Luke 17, verse 32 and 33. Jesus has a warning. He says, remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you will lose it. But if you let go of that life, if you let that life go, you'll get life on God's terms. What happened to Lot's wife is she looked back. Being rescued and sent away from destruction, she turned longingly to look at what was. And when Lot's wife's eyes went back to death when she was offered life, God gave her what she was looking towards. It's a future warning and a present promise from Jesus. That the breaking news for the future and today, because the kingdom is eternal and it is now, and so Jesus is saying that when the king calls your name and he is their king, he's our king. Or when the king returns and calls you again, because the kingdom is now and future. It is past and present. When the king calls your name, when the king beckons you in, don't turn back. Don't go looking for the stuff that you need to gather. Don't go looking at the life that you're leaving. Don't go chasing the death that he's inviting you away from as you're being invited into life. You have to let it go. You don't get to try to fit Jesus into your life. Because the kingdom is joy and the kingdom is hope and the kingdom is purpose. And yet there's another option for each of us. The Pharisees struggle with this. We're going to see in the weeks to come, there's one after another is going, gosh, I don't know if I can do this. Offered life, you can always look back to death and you can cling to what was instead of taking what will be. And God is so faithful that he'll allow it for you. If your treasure is all that you can contain and control, then that will be your treasure. Scripture teaches that if what you treasure is all that you can contain and control, if what you treasure is the stuff you can get your arms around, if it's your 401k or it's your investments or it's your status or it's your friends group, whatever it is, whatever you think you can control, if that's what you treasure, God says, I'm faithful to give you your treasure. It's yours. Alternatively, if you treasure the things of heaven, heaven becomes your treasure. If you treasure the things of heaven, heaven becomes your treasure. It is your inheritance. It is what you will inherit. It is where you are headed. And like Lot's wife, she treasured the things of old and God gave them to her. You want the things of death and death is yours. And the warning from Jesus is, I am here to offer you life, to usher in life, to bring back renewal, to give you restoration. And if you'd like to look back at the things of death, they're yours. But if you want life, then you have to let go of the things of death so you can take hold of the things of life and you can walk with me on the journey. Friends, nothing has changed in terms of Jesus' offer from the Pharisees to now. From the arid plains of Samaria to present-day Bowling Green, Ohio, it is the exact same offer. We are not here waiting on what is about to happen. This is not an afterlife fever dream. This is now. The kingdom is in the house. 
And you are being invited to react to what has already occurred. You are being invited to respond to Jesus' presence in the world. You, unlike the Pharisees, now have the gift of hindsight where you are being invited to respond to Jesus through his life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. You know the end of the story that they couldn't yet see. And he's inviting you into that story, saying you are invited into the kingdom, but you have to let go of your own. Can you submit your kingdom, that area that you control in your life, can you let that go so that you can grab hold of the greater kingdom? So the question for each of us this morning is, we have an eyes wide choice to make. We have a camera zooms in, the call is coming from inside the house, what are you going to do about it kind of moment? And as your eyes widen and your pulse quickens and the adrenaline floods into your body, you get to make the choice of, do I let go of my kingdom? Do I release my grip to hold on to what Jesus has promised? Am I going to grip tightly or am I going to let go? More, God wants to use you. It gets better. You're not just ushered in for a sideline seat in the kingdom. God wants to use you. God wants to use your life and your gifts. God wants to give you purpose and hope beyond just a sideline role, beyond a a hold on for dear life sort of containing control mechanism. God says, come on in. And when you let go and grab hold, I'm giving you part of the reins. We're doing this together. And the people who have let go, you know them. The people who have truly let go and they're living fully in the kingdom, you can see it. You can look them in the eyes and you begin to believe this is what it looks like to flourish. This is what it looks like to have purpose. This is what it looks like to not be bound by the things of the world. Because you have to believe that God wants you exactly like you are, exactly where you are. He's not waiting for you to get it right. He's not waiting for you to add up to enough. He's not waiting for you to follow the religious rules or to check a certain number of boxes. God wants you now where you are. The kingdom is here now and your invitation is now. Not let me go home and get ready now. Not let me build up a little bit more goodwill now. Not let me get more credible in the eyes of the religious now. God is inviting you in now. And his redemption and his sacrificial resurrection, this whole process means that you are fully redeemed. That your sin has been resolved, that he's taken on the punishment. As a result, you are a perfect sacrifice to bring to him. You are perfectly ready to come and open your hands. There's nothing left to do except let go. And so that's what you get to do today. Because Jesus asks the Pharisees, and he also asks us, are you willing to let go? And if you can let go of the kingdom of self, then you can grab hold and inherit the kingdom of heaven. Because where your treasure is, is where your treasure will be. And so today, our prayer, as we close... It's Jesus, I'm letting go, and Jesus, I give you control. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.